Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. So, greetings to everyone. Um, My name is William R. Uh, I am a real sexaholic and grateful to be one today and uh, to be part of this meeting, to be invited by Luke to, to come and share some of my experience, strength, and hope with you. Um, My wife, Rosalind, uh, who is from England originally, uh, are here in uh, Maui celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. And um, I told Luke I'd have to get her permission to, uh, to take some time out to be on this meeting. And, um, Fortunately, she realizes that uh, the program has to be a way of life for me. I, uh, while we've been here in Maui, I make calls every day to members in the program, and that allows me to um, to live life, whether it's here in Maui or or back in my home uh, town of Bellevue, Washington, and. Um, our previous, I wanted to mention our our honeymoon 40 years ago was in the Lake District in England. And we were in a stone cottage that was about 300 years old. So now it's about, uh, it was 31, 340 years old. Anyway, it felt like a prison cell and neither of us can have any other memories about the time of our honeymoon. It was so traumatic for both of us. <laughs> so it's wonderful that we can be here 40 years later and because of this program, able to relate to each other, to experience the real connection. My wife said to me before we came on this trip that she wanted to share feelings and she wanted to experience the real connection like she, like I have in the program. And um, so we've been attempting to do that. And um, so I want to, I have a reading from the white book. I don't know exactly what page it is in the actual book uh, because, but I imagine it might be in step zero or step one, but this is what it says. Some of us look back on our transition to sobriety as a time when we were in a state of shock in which our whole system had to slowly recover from the trauma of a lifetime of self-inflicted injury. Sobriety involves a new and unfamiliar way of life, like driving in a foreign country without knowing. Sobriety involves a new an unfamiliar way of life, like driving in a foreign country without knowing the language or customs, 
Only this is a whole new inner terrain. Without the drug, we begin to feel what's really going on inside. It takes time to adjust to all of this. And the support of others in the fellowship is vital. Journeying this new road together helps take the fear out of withdrawal. We see that others who have gone before us have discovered sex is truly optional. Once they surrendered lust and the expectation of sex and their comfort and joy are genuine, they are neither abnormal <laughs> nor deprived. <clears throat> Married members discover they can go into periods of voluntary abstinence to recover from lust and find them surprisingly effective and rewarding experiences. Yes, there is life after lust and life after sex. So um, I wanted to go back to the beginning of uh, my program when um, my first sponsor, the way um, Destiny would have it, was the founder of the program, Roy Kay. And he invited uh, myself and my wife, Rosalind, to come for lunch in his home with his wife, Iris, who recently passed away. And um, uh, we were sitting there at the dining table. And before we'd eaten anything, uh, Roy looked me straight in the eye and said, S.A. has to be first in your life. <laughs> and at the time, my wife and I were both in graduate school theology, uh, studying to be clergy, uh, religious leaders in our faith tradition. And um, I had uh, two jobs and we had two children, um, ages seven and uh, three. And I thought, what? <laughs> what's he talking about? How am I supposed to make SA first in my life? And, um, and then uh, as the lunch went on, his, um, his wife Iris was sitting there and Roy had to get something in the kitchen and uh, I, I, she mentioned they were going on vacation in their trailer. And I said, oh, that's, that's great. And uh, she said, Roy will be going to meetings while we're on our trip, on our vacation. And I said, Roy goes to meetings on vacation? It was just such a foreign thought to me that, you know, you take a vacation from S.A., you know, uh, when I got into the program, I was what I call a minimalist. What's the minimum I have to do to try and stay sober? I said to Roy, how many meetings do I have to go to? What's the minimum <laughs> number of meetings I have to go to? And he said, two. <laughs> and he told me which meetings were, were meetings where people were getting sober and staying sober. And that's kind of been my minimum uh, these um, how many years uh, 
27 plus years that I've been in the program. Um, but I, my, my, today I usually go to three meetings a week. I have what I call three home meetings. And I, tr I try and make at least three calls a day with live calls with people that last about uh, 45 minutes uh, or so total. And, um, and then to work the steps, especially the 10 step uh, on any situation where I'm feeling disturbed. Uh, and uh, I've heard it said that Roy said that the 10 step was the most critical step in his sobriety. And basically, you know, we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. But for me, it's just it's basically a step where I can I can step back and look at uh, why I'm disturbed and um, and process it uh, by um, by writing down exactly why I'm disturbed and then um, saying the prayer, God, I realize my wife is spiritually sick. <laughs> um, I've written more 10 steps about my wife than anybody else on the planet. And that's because I'm a love cripple and, and she's the one, she's the primary relationship. And I don't know how to do those relationships. And it's gotten a lot better. So doing 10 steps related to her are infrequent. But um, so uh, one of the things that I learned from that time with Roy was that, you know, gosh, he brought me into his home with his wife. And um, one of the ways that making SA a part of uh, a way of life has been actually doing things uh, in our home. We have. Uh, at my wife's suggestion, hosted uh, uh, SA gatherings in our home um, where maybe 40 or 50 plus people with their spouses came. Some of them were in Essendon, uh, some spouses weren't. Uh, and it's a potluck. Uh, we have people in, in Bellevue from all over the world, like this meeting, and uh, they bring dishes generally from their uh, culture and country. And it's a great, uh, I love food, so it's a great uh, time to eat food. <laughs> and we, um, we usually have, uh, we eat a meal together and, and people sit around at tables and we have fellowship. And then after that, we have some entertainment or, or people who share, uh, who sing or play the piano. Or uh, one time we had someone play the drums. Another time we had someone play the sax, uh, saxophone. And, um, and then after that, we have an open meeting. And um, people share their experience, strength, and hope. And uh, that's just been uh, one way of, you know, learning that I need to bring my recovery into my life and bring my life into recovery. 
And um, uh, one of the other things, thinking back to those early days, um, my children were, like I say, about seven and three. And then uh, my daughter, who was seven, knew I was going to meetings and she'd hear me talk about sexual sobriety and and she'd say, stay sober, daddy. And she's seven years old, right? And that made me realize that working the steps uh, with my sponsor, actually I worked my steps with uh, somebody after Roy Kay. He sponsored me for about six months graciously. And then I, I got a second sponsor who was an had been in AA a number of years and uh, and got me through the steps, but she 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 could see the change and knew that staying sober meant I was a different person. And uh, one of the other things she said that stuck with me was at the end of a table blessing at a meal, she said, "Thank you, God, for helping Dad Daddy with his anger." And uh, one of the char- character defects, primary character defects I had was actually rage. It would vary anything from being just upset to being angry to actually full-on rage that was very frightening to anyone around me. And, um, you know, the big book says that resentment is the number one offender. And I know I cannot be have fear. For me, underlying any resentment is fear. Uh, resentments, uh, kind of a a um, a byproduct, a real byproduct of fear. But anyway, um, I was uh, uh, so full of resentment. The the last time I acted out, my sobriety date was prior to SA. Uh, I got in a argument with my wife. And she drove off with the kids and left me uh, at this monastery where I was preparing talks on love and forgiveness. So if you want a contrast of (laughs) living a dual life, that was it. You know, I was here in this religious setting preparing talks on love and forgiveness. And my wife was mad at me, uh, really mad at me because I I, uh, was in denial and minimizing her pain. And uh, and I made it through the night because I was white knuckling it. I didn't know the term back then because I hadn't started the program. And but then I masturbated three times the next morning. And that's the way I would try and process my being upset. So. um, So thank you, Francis. I see that. So. I wanted to mention that one of my primary lust inventory um, issues is attraction to minors. And it took quite a few years to really process that reality because I had so much shame and guilt around it. And um, uh, I couldn't believe that our dark past is our greatest possession in God's hands and that uh, the key to life and happiness for others with with it, with our, our dark past, you can avert death and misery for others. I couldn't believe that, especially around my attraction to minors. Um, and I, 
because of my that particular issue, I have left two professions for which I was trained in in, uh, in school, and now I drive bus, and um, it's the first profession I've been in, or the first real thing I've done where humility comes quite naturally. I was so embarrassed about driving bus that I didn't want to wear my uniform to a meeting because I didn't want anybody to know I was, quote unquote, a blue collar worker. And for me, one of the big things that God has given me through this program is an experience of humility, turning my will and my life over to God and asking him what he wants me to do. And that really started when I walked into my first meeting and continued when I asked someone to sponsor me and was furthered by the steps and uh, continues to happen today. One of the big things my sponsor said to me, he said, the rule of thumb is whenever you and your wife disagree, you need to do what your wife wants you to do. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, the other thing I wanted to say quickly is that I, the first two years of the program, I knew I had to stop having sex. So my wife and I were abstinent for two years, um, the first two years in the program. And then we were physically intimate one weekend, and I came away so uh, drunk that we that I realized we needed to be abstinent again, and we would be abstinent for a year at a time. And uh, finally, it got to the place where my wife felt free enough to say she wanted to be free never to have sex with me again. And I said, well, okay. Because I wasn't, sex was truly optional. And uh, so we went about three years and 10 months, I think it was, until my sponsor said, William, you know how to live with sex. You need to see if your wife is willing to be physically intimate. And, and I thought, oh, my goodness. So I asked her and she said, yeah, she was, she was open to that. So, um, you know, but it is such a freedom to, to have sex as being optional. And SA gave me that freedom. And before, sex was a complete obsession. And now it's, it, it's optional. And um, I'm eternally grateful for that gift. So with that, I think maybe I've used my five minutes, right, Francis? No? How many minutes left? One? So <laughs> anyway, um, my wife said this. And this is, you know, Roy said you could measure your recovery by your wife, your children, your dog, the door. <laughs> and my wife said this. I asked her to pray for me. She prayed for me this morning and I asked her to pray for me when I was speaking at another retreat. And she said, William has to God. She said, William has tried and tested the program and found it to be the solution. And uh, and I know the program is the solution. Uh, it is for me. It's the only thing the program and the step with, with with all the program involved is the only thing that's ever worked for me. I tried the the religious route up to everything that I could find in my religious tradition to try and stay sober, and I couldn't stay sober till I came to SA. And I had to learn because I was so steeped in my religious tradition to say, I tell my wife, these are my people. <laughs> But I was really telling myself, convincing myself that I needed to be with other sexaholics, that you are my family. You are my people. 
and I get life through you. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, William. Thank you, William. You've still got five minutes if you want it, William. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> great. Well, I have another story to tell. There's a person here, was here, I'm not sure whether he disappeared, um, who uh, I think was connected with another. So I talked about bringing recovery into life. I mean, you know, uh, I have atrial fibrillation, which is a fluttering of my heart. And um, I had a choice between chemical, uh, kind of a chemical solution of taking pills to try and moderate the heart rate or having what's called an ablation, which is about a four plus hour surgery where they go in and, and they kill the cells. Uh, they can either, they usually, in my neck of the woods, they where I live, uh, the, the person froze the cells that were sending off these errant electronic signals. And um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to take pills the rest of my life, even though I now take a maximum dose of gabapentin that you can take because of my neuropathy. <laughs> I didn't want to take these pills. And um, uh, so um, I didn't know what to do. Pills, I didn't want somebody, I didn't want to be put under and uh, have somebody work on my heart for four and a half hours. Anyway, I called this guy and I talked to people in the program. That's what I do. I so often find God's will for me by talking to people in the program. And uh, I talked to one of my close friends in the program and said, well, why don't you call my sponsor? He's a physician. He might have some thoughts about that. So I called him and I'd never met the guy. And, and you know, he was watching TV with his wife and he, he took some time away from that. He said, oh, yeah, I, I can come talk to you. And we talked maybe at least a half hour. He found out about the whole situation. And he said, oh, he said, by the way, I just read an article in the Journal of American Medicine or something like whatever that's called and about ablation. So it's really fresh in my mind. Now, isn't that a surprise that I just read this article? And he said, you know, it's it's a great procedure if it was me. I said, well, which would you do? Which if I, when I asked my physician, he said, well, I can't really say, but this guy wasn't my physician. So he said, well, if it was me, I'd do ablation three times if necessary to get my heart in, in normal rhythm. And uh, so anyway, long story short, I went and had the ablation and my wife, my wife, my heart has been beating normally now for over four years. And I'm so grateful that God spoke to me through this friend in the program. And that's true even in my bus driving job. It was a sponsee. I didn't know what to do since I couldn't do the, the, the careers I was trained for that involved minors. Um, a sponsee said, well, why don't you drive bus? And I thought, oh, that's way beneath me. I can't drive bus. But I ended up driving bus. And um, so. Thank you. Um, thank you, William for your share. I, I really needed to hear that today. And I um, truly admire your willingness to admit something that's very difficult. And I have a question that might be a little too sensitive. So just share what you're willing to share. Um, I'm curious how, if your children, I'm not sure how they are now, but if your children know or knew that your attraction was to minors and how that 
was for them. (laughs) That's a great question. There's not too much that's too sensitive for me in SA. That's one of the gifts of of this this program. Um, uh, So they didn't know in their early years that they know they know now. And um, my because of SA and because of bringing my attraction to minors into life, I know what kind of boundaries uh, I need. And and basically, though it's not always that way, um, you know, I don't do things around minors that uh, would just by myself, <laughs> kids in the neighborhood or other things. And it's not like I feel like I'm going to jump on them or do something wrong per se, but one of the, like, I don't teach Sunday school and, and the superintendent in our church said, uh, kind of looked at me and said, I tried to explain it, you know, and I said, I had some attraction. said, Oh, okay. You're uncomfortable around minors. And that's, that's, that's a pretty good description. Uh, and I don't like being uncomfortable. So I have boundaries that I put in place. But with my, I have a, a, a great story related to that where I had, when I was still processing that I, I couldn't be a, in a leadership position around minors. Um, and thank God I didn't have attraction to my own. My, it's female, basically female. My, my lust has no age boundary, I could say, um, for females. And um uh, I was going to go with my, my son had asked me if I take his class, I mean, go with his class on a fishing trip, his fourth grade class. And I told him yes. And I, and he told the teacher and it was all planned. And then this whole attraction to minor issues came up and I asked my sponsor at the time. And, uh, I was actually being, our family was being investigated by child protective services uh, because they were concerned about their safety, because I talked about my attraction to minors in a prison, which was silly, and got myself in trouble. And um, uh, so I told my son uh, that I I couldn't go after promising him I could. And that was so hard, because I didn't ever want to break a promise with my 10-year-old son. And he... Uh, I, he said, well, dad, is it you don't want to go or you can't go? I said, it's can't, I can't go. I've made some mistakes in the past that make it impossible for me to go. And I doubled over and I wept, just bawled. And when I lifted myself up, my 10-year-old son came up and kissed me on the lips, smack dab on the lips. And uh, so that was in a way kind of letting him know you know, indirectly, that I had the the this issue, but as long you know, just so you know, as long as I'm you know, as long as I'm sober and in this program, I drive bus. Sometimes there are children on the bus. It's not a big deal to be a bus driver. So I, I've you know, but it's something. It's like with other issues in SA, I have to be aware of of what's happening. Sorry about that, Rain. I didn't see your hand until now. I'm, I don't know whether that hand was because I'm too explicit or whether it was because you wanted to speak. No, it was just raised because I spoke before. It was okay. you, your answer was perfect. It brings tears to my eyes. Thank you. 
Yes, it was. Thanks, Rain. Thanks, William. So who else would like to come in there? Marty, your hand is up. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, number one, I just want to say that William has been a, a big part of my life. Uh, he saved my life. <laughs> but uh, one question, and, uh, you know, it, it's a struggle for a lot of people. Uh, William said uh, during his share to keep SA first in your life, uh, number one, SA, and number two, family. And that can be a juggling act. And uh, I know a lot of people, uh, wives can maybe get a little bit resentful of that. If you go to meetings first and then uh, put family second. And maybe if you could explain that, William, how, how you keep that balance, number one, of keeping SA first and family second, and just go into a little more detail uh, on that. And I know we've we've discussed that before, and it, it's it is a juggling act. And uh, what what is the importance of that? Thank you, Greg. Um, it reminds me of one thing I used to say in the early days. It was just so amazing uh, when I really became a part of this fellowship and um, discovered, I really discovered my, why I was on the planet. Why, why is one friend in the program says I'm sucking oxygen on God's green earth. <laughs> and that's to be sexually sober and carry the message of sexual sobriety, that there is an answer to this disease that destroys everything we love, including ourselves brought me to the point of suicide. And, um, you know, why I, why I, uh, so I would say out loud, I realized my, my son later told me it was hard to interpret for him at age, at such a young age. But I said, you know, I could lose my wife and my children and I would still have, I would grieve their loss oh, terribly, but I still have a reason to live. <laughs> I'm still glad to be alive because I know who I am and why I'm here. And that's to be a sexaholic, a sober sexaholic. And um, uh, so my wife actually said, I was telling Greg about this. She actually, at one point last week, said she was an SA widow. <laughs> you know, you talk about a golfing widow or, or whatever. And, and it helped me. We had a really frank discussion. And it helped me realize that putting SA first, I can also put family first. There's a way I can make her feel like she's first. And one of the ways I made her feel like she's first when we came here to Maui is she always wants to rent a Mustang. You know, that's a particular kind of American car and convertible. And I think it's too expensive. I would just get a small gas saving thing. And lo and behold, the only uh, car we could rent this time, I mean, the only one they had Hertz had on the lot was a Mustang GT, which is a five liter engine, and we're averaging 15 miles to the gallon. But I get a big kick on of stepping on the gas pedal and just, you know, it's a thrill. I mean, I have, I, I, I'm a guy who likes thrills, and I used to get them uh, in, in negative ways through <laughs> acting out, you know. But anyway, uh, what was the question? So, I've been working on, um, you know, we had a, 
uh, a conversation this time. We'd been married 40 years and we had a conversation where I just opened up about my feelings about my sexuality and kind of gave a, a, a story, timeline story of where I've come to and the importance of a physical connection that I've realized I and and spiritual and emotional connection that I receive as a man from relating to her in in physically intimate ways. And she said, you know, she she just listened and she just absorbed it and it changed. You know, she said, I feel like, I mean, we've shared feelings and the real connection has happened. And as long as I practice the real connection with my family, they they understand that if I don't do SA, I'm gonna die. That's 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 it, plain and simple. You know, or I become a dry drunk and impossible to live with. I'm hard to live with anyway. When I'm doing SA sometimes, you know, and uh, so um, that's my answer. So uh, one of the things you mentioned is, is that uh, can she tell when you haven't made your phone calls? Well, oh, yeah. So so she she one day I, I get depressed. Uh, SA is my antidepressant. I get excited when I am connected to SA and talking to sponsees or on a meeting. And, uh, and so one day I was depressed on a Saturday. I had problems working my program on Saturday because there was no meeting or, and I wasn't working. And I begin to, I, if I get to, get to noon without making an SA phone call, I'm usually in trouble because I get too involved in other things. So anyway, I got to, to the afternoon and she said, looked at me and she said, William, have you taken your happy pills today? <laughs> and I said, no. And I don't think I made any phone calls. I was too depressed. But anyway, I, I remembered the happy pill statement. And, and uh, so that's, uh, that's what she knows I need to make. She knows I need the program. And that's a huge blessing. And she, because of her own experience, she doesn't con- condemn me for, you know, anything related to, to lust because I still have problems with it sometimes. She's, she, you know, she's supportive. If we're sitting somewhere where there's a woman that I'm having trouble with, she will change seats. So I've got a little more distance or a little different, you know, angle on at, at a restaurant to help me uh, with my attraction to females. So. Thank you, William. Uh, William, we've got a question come anonymously in chat. Uh, does abstaining of sex with a spouse in the initial sobriety help? And how many days or months? <laughs> well, for me, it helped. You know, I didn't even ask Rosalind's permission initially. She said, well, what am I supposed to do with my needs for physical intimacy? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I just got to stop. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. And, and uh, you know, that's where I put, as it were, SA first. You know, I had to put it first. I can't. I was codependent on my wife, basically. <laughs> and and SA's, SA's given my independence back and hers. You know, we're, we're able to be much freer and be ourselves. So that's why I, I, uh, I found and I believe I've. Uh, I believe it's helpful to practice at some point early on in sobriety, uh, one day at a time abstinence in marriage. And um, uh, I remember going up to Roy when he was sponsoring me and saying that 
there was this guy I met in a meeting who was having trouble staying sober. And he said, how many times has he been physically intimate or sexual with his wife? I said, oh, I don't know. So I went back to the meeting and asked the guy and he said, oh, four, four or five times a week. And I told Roy that and he said, no wonder he's having trouble staying sober. <laughs> he's, he's, he's maybe not be act, masturbating or acting out outside of the marriage, but he's getting his fix in the marriage and that won't work. So basically, when I have sponsees, I, I, you know, invite them to say, like in the white book, to talk about it with their wives, but to try, you know, uh, to go for 30 days if they can. And people I know in the program who have long term sobriety, most of them have done. And that's not a ton of people, but my small sample uh, have done six months of sobriety, uh, of abstinence in their marriage. And um, I do uh, also for those people who are single. Uh, oh, there's one key aspect of this, which is, you know, I came we came up to where we are now in Seattle from uh, Pasadena, where we were in theological school. And my wife got this job as a clergy person in a large church. And I came up for the interview and she told me the only place she was willing to be physically intimate was when we were away from the children. And she told me we could probably do it on this trip up to Washington because we were in this hotel. And of course, she was exhausted by the interview. And and I I've been counting on being physically intimate for days. <laughs> so we got up here. So I had the name of one person in in Seattle uh, that I in the program, and I called him and told him my problem, told him, you know, let, you know, talked about my recovery, listened to his and, and experienced real emotional intimacy and the desire to have physical quote unquote intimacy with my wife vanished. And I realized why I seek physical intimacy is because it's, it's one way I, I feel emotional and can feel emotionally intimate if I'm connected with the person like my wife. But that's what I most need. And it's what I get from SA and and coming to a meeting like this. And I don't need it from my wife or my children or any place else because the sexaholic in me, which is the core of my being, is is being real and being fed by the spirituality of this fellowship of forgiveness, as Roy calls it in the white book. That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, Marty, we'll come back to you, see if we get it this time. All right. Yeah, Marty, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Marty from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, thank you so much, William. I just wanted to cut in or get in there and let you know that uh, I know exactly uh, a little bit of some of the troubles because I was in theology school. I did become a priest and I had that attraction to young girls. And I have to watch and I cannot, you know, uh, I lost that particular lifestyle. And I always have to be careful of where I am and how I am. And anybody I go out with, I always reach out to and let them know. And the beauty of it all in God's infinite wisdom, because I had to go to prison because of what I had done. And his love for me just showed through that. And, and I just uh, I'm so glad to hear what you had to say. Uh, because uh, it, it, it shows 
that I'm not alone in, in some of this area. And not only that, but that, uh, uh, you know, when you get into the program and you do the steps and you surrender it all, and you don't do it on your own just because I put a collar on and said, oh, now I can do it all. Uh-uh. I can't do it without my higher power. It just doesn't work. And, um, and, and every, what, what has been so beautiful is that the, uh, the clergy here in my diocese have been so open. And just this morning, I prayed with a group in church, and they were praying. That's uh, time, Marty. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, anyway, and, and, and I was able to open up, and they all welcomed me. And, oh, man, that is such a – and that's the rigorous honesty. And uh, thank you again, William. Uh, and uh, thanks, everybody. I got to go to my home meeting now. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks, Marty. Thank you. Marty. Luke, and I'll do the timing. Hey, uh, thank you so much, William, for your story. I was um, very touched also by the sincerity and the honesty in which you in which you told it. Uh, I'm always I'm one of the things I'm really grateful for in SA is our old timers like you, because old timers in SA are are just sharing where they are today and sharing their struggles, and, and they don't say that they're cured or whatever. So that's amazing. A question, William, is because you, you mentioned rage and some other problems. Did you do any outside help, like an other fellowship or therapy or whatever? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, thank you, Luke. Um, I Since I came into SA, I... I have not done that. Um, working the the fourth step and the tenth step, um, and having a sponsor, a strong sponsor, uh, filled my particular need to, or gave me a way out of my rage. But I'd I'd made some progress before I got into the program. I'd seen. Uh, a therapist, a Jungian analyst back in my early 30s. And then I had faced in, my family had a terrible tragedy in which my aunt was raped and murdered. And I was in my mother's womb. And it, it was a traumatizing thing for the whole family. It wasn't discussed for 40 years until I faced into it and, and looked it all up and processed it. So that helped me somewhat with my rage towards towards women, which I don't have time to explain the connection, and rage towards men. I didn't trust men or women when I came into the program, basically. I didn't trust anyone. <laughs> so, um, but uh, what I would say is that, you know, my sponsor, my son had rage attacks. And my sponsor at the time, when he was four years old, he'd lie on the floor and and his mouth would get frothy and he would his eyes would roll back and he'd scream. And my wife said, they're going to call, you know, the police on us or something like we're abusing him. And uh, my sponsor said, you need he's reflecting your in inner life. Instead of getting angry at him for his anger, you need to practice the serenity prayer and be, learn to be calm in the face of his rage. And so that was my kind of practice 
was was learning to to uh, be calm. I think therapists working with a therapist would have helped me. Um, I have a sponsee now who recently I started sponsoring, and uh, he, you know, he's see, seen a therapist and and uh, seen a psychiatrist and has gotten on medication, and it has really really been indispensable. He's been, he worked, he's on his, he's finished his fifth step. He's on his sixth step. And, um, but that wouldn't have been enough, you know, and it probably, um, you know, I think maybe my age and the experience I had enabled me to just use the steps as a solution and slowly, you know, I, I wrote this down and I, it would be too hard to find, but I said some things like my, my rage towards women, which, you know, my wife was the closest woman, have to be practiced over time. It's not an instant forgiveness thing, whether you're doing therapy or anything else. I have a sponsee who has been seeing a therapist for years, and he still, he's just now not hating his father, you know, and he spent years working on it and doing the steps on it. So there's some things where, where rage always has a reason, and I don't, you know, and so it's really processing those reasons. And I think therapy can help. And sometimes medication is absolutely necessary. I myself am on medication, a couple types of medication, and I'm grateful for them. Thank you, uh, uh, William. Uh, Lee, you had your hand up. Yeah, hi, William. Uh, great hi, share. I, I uh, turned off my camera. Uh, can't see myself. Now I have to see myself talk. That's very important. Uh, I, 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 you know, I looked, I have a, an essay contact in my phone named William from Seattle, and I bet it's you. And it's from about four or five years ago. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I, I wanted to I wanted to say I like your reference to my favorite passage in the AA Big Book, which is cling to the thought that in God's hands, our dark past is the greatest possession we have. So uh, I always think that, and that helps integrate my life into the rest of the world around me. But the most important thing I think that you said is the 10th step is so important because it's a moment to moment weaving into the fabric of everything, how our life becomes recovery. And I think that's so important. Uh, I don't, I'm not able to identify selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and resentment. Uh, what I understand is that I'm anxious or I'm thinking about donuts or fantasizing about something else. And that is when it is. So what kind of things do you use uh, in your uh, taking the tenth step? That was the question. So, so I have a, a format that I I created, integrated, um, which I can send to to Lou. It's 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 basically the big book format. I love the big book format. So I use the four step format. You know. Uh, that that basically, but I wove in some 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 statements uh, that go along with that. I mean, I, when I'm angry or upset, I read that whole passage. Resentment is the number one offender, and I read it clear through to the end about fear. You know, 
why am I afraid? And the whole thing about self-centeredness, you know, where am I self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, and uh, frightened? You know, and I and I and I fill out those categories after I've done and I do the prayer. I do it all in the order of the AA big book, except it's focused on a current situation. It doesn't have to be resentment towards people. It could be it could be driving bus. I mean, I I didn't work a 10 step on driving bus and I was so angry about it and angry about driving my daughter's car that she couldn't drive with a stick shift. I actually accidentally ran into the back of a 60-foot bus parked near our house. <clears throat> and that was all <laughs> because I hadn't done a 10-step. And I'd been sober four or five years. And that's where I began to say, hey, I got I to gotta use this on, my, on a day-in, day-out basis to deal with my response. So, you know, I follow that whole outline. I resent, in AA, they put it really simple there. I'm resentful at so-and-so or such and such a situation, it affects, I love the instinct part. It affects my self-esteem, my financial security, because those are the instincts inside of me. And uh, so listen to this story. So my wife and I and my son and, and, and a cousin of her or somebody was going to the, to uh, see a movie. And, and we were in that elevator. It was up on the third floor. And I said, why don't we get out on the second floor? And my wife was in, said, no, we have to get out on the first floor. And we're in this packed elevator. And I said, well, we can let our, your mom run the show. I said it out loud. And she, we were just getting out of the elevator and she elbowed me in the stomach. She was so mad that I had uh, said that. And I, my son took my arm and he said, dad, do you want to go work a 10 step? <laughs> and he took me to the bathroom and we worked a 10 step on my anger at Rosalind. And I was able to come back and admit where I was wrong and sit next to her in the movie when I was ready to go to a different movie. <laughs> and so, you know, and the, for me, the part of that 10 step is the prayer. God, I realize Rosalind is perhaps spiritually sick, though I do not like her symptoms and the way they disturb me. She, like myself in italics, is sick. You know, help me show her the same pity tolerance, self uh, pity tolerance uh, that I would show a sick friend. You know, and I let I bring God into it there on that with that prayer. And then I go on to what my part is, you know, and then I write down my fears. And and then probably the most important part, Lee, is I I talk to you about it or or Greg or somebody else in the program, my sponsor, David, you know, uh, and uh, I called that guy, Michael. I told you that I met or called when I came to Seattle because I was wanting sex with my wife and she wasn't interested. I called him from England one time. I was so pissed at Rosalind. I was ready to get on a plane and leave her and the kids in England. And I called him at 4 a.m. in the morning in England after working a four-step, a 10-step. I call it, It's a 10-step, but I use the four-step format. And I just want to say one more thing about it because it's so critical that when my wife, my, my son was 23, he said something that truly upset me, and I um, 
I was so angry, I was ready to never speak to him again. And I'd been sober when he was 23, I'd been sober. Uh, he's now 31, seven years ago. So 20 years. And, and he just pushed my, I, he said what I'd said was weird. And I felt like he said, you're weird. And he'd just come from some abuse in the army and stuff. And he was on edge and we traveled for 12 hours in the car and or, or 36 hours. And I hadn't done any program. And I was, uh, but I was ready never to speak to him again. And I came home and my wife actually offered me sex to help me. And I said, no, I don't need sex, you know. And I got up at like four in the morning and I worked a 10 step. I was just, you know, I knew I had to work a 10 step or I didn't know what was going to happen. And and then I called my sponsor who was doing a memorial service back in Tennessee or someplace. And I said, David, this is my you got time to hear my 10 step. He said, well, I don't have much time, but go ahead and start and we'll see where we get. So I read it to him and he said, I read him. I mean, I was just crying and, you know, still feeling self-pity. And and he, he said, do you remember the three things psychiatrists say about addicts? I said, well, I remember there are three things. I don't remember what they are. He said, we are, uh, we are childish, emotionally sensitive, and grandiose. I thought, well, why is he saying that after I just read him that my heart is broken in two about my son? And I felt like he'd taken a what do they call it, that I, you know, I'd, my leg had been cut off or something. He'd taken a, one of these things to cut off the blood flow from my injury so I could live. I mean, it, it didn't feel good, it didn't, but, but it enabled me to stop, you know, that self-pity and, and fear. And I realized after doing my 10-step that my, my deep, deep fear was that my son didn't love me anymore. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.